I'm overwhelmed, overwhelmed with joy and happiness and delight for the women in this country. I said it to Joe Takapina yesterday. Uh, he came over to congratulate me. He put out his hand and I said, he did it and you know it. This week, a jury in a civil trial in New York found Donald Trump guilty of sexually abusing and defaming E. Jean Carroll. It ordered that the former U.S. president should pay a total of $5 million damages to the woman who bravely withstood three days of brutal cross-examination. I'm going to go back and I'm going to confront this woman. This woman is a disgrace. Despite what sounded like a promise... Trump never made an appearance at the trial in Manhattan, mostly choosing to vent on his social media platform, Truth Social. Reporter Molly Crane Newman was in court for the entire trial, and she explains why it took nearly 30 years for Carol to get justice, and what happens next. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, inside the courtroom at the Trump sex abuse trial. Molly, this downtown Manhattan courtroom is no stranger to high-profile cases with well-known names. Can you describe what the court was like? What was the atmosphere outside? What was it like going in every day of the case? Yeah, so, you know, there were, um, I'm going to say, dozens of reporters covering this trial um, over the last two weeks, um, just yesterday. And, you know, and Donald Trump's trial in Manhattan had coincided with another um, high-profile case that was on at the same time. And the pop star Ed Sheeran um, had a copyright trial against the the heirs of the late Ed Townsend uh, about a, a Marvin Gaye song, and um, so completely unrelated. But they were they both went on trial the same day, um, five floors apart, and you know their their lawyers were both kind of set up shop in the cafeteria every day, just a couple of tables apart from each other. Um, and the lawyers on that case, as the lawyers on uh, Donald Trump and Eugene Carroll's case, are, you know, some of the you know, most famous attorneys in the country. Um, so it's been a very interesting couple of weeks in the courts. Can you tell me a little bit about Eugene Carroll, who is Trump's accuser? Right. So Eugene Carroll is a, a writer and um, she's a longtime advice columnist for Elle magazine. She wrote about kind of love and sex and, and dating advice. And um, she also had a daytime talk show in the 1990s, which is around the time that, that the assault occurred. Um, and, you know, she, she was a public figure in her own right, um, you know, in the, in the mid 1990s, which is the, the era that we've, we've been hearing about for the last two weeks when this assault occurred. So, Molly, what was E. Jean Carroll's demeanour in court? Was she on the stand for long? E. Jean Carroll spent almost three full days on the witness stand. Two of them, yeah, two of them under a pretty brutal cross-examination by Joe Takapina, Donald Trump's lawyer. Her, her first day was, was under questioning by her lawyer, and that was when she sort of, for the first time, recounted this assault, um, recounted how, how it all went down. Um, when she met Donald Trump in the department store 25 years ago, um, she was she was very emotional when she first spoke about it. Um, and I would say she actually kind of the most emotional testimony we heard was when she talked about the kind of ramifications that it had on her life. 
Um, she told the jury that you know she never she was never intimate with somebody again. Um, it kind of destroyed her, demolished her self esteem and and her ability to be intimate. Um, so we heard very emotional testimony from her on direct examination and then on cross um, under Joe Takapina. So for some context, uh, Joe Takapina is kind of known as a mob lawyer. You know, he's this bombastic character. He's really big, got a, an interesting fashion sense. Um, and he sort of, you know, hammered her with questions like, why didn't you scream? Why didn't you call the police? Why didn't you go to the hospital? This is the classic sort of line, isn't it? You know, you didn't scream, therefore it couldn't be rape kind of thing. Exactly. And that was what Carol said to him, which was actually a pretty um, powerful moment of her testimony, where she kind of turned it back on him. She said, you know, those kinds of questions are the reason so many women don't come forward because they're asked, why didn't you scream and why didn't you call police? And, you know, she said at one point, he raped me whether I screamed or not. And it was this kind of, uh, you know, there was this moment of silence after she said that. She kind of sounded like she was about to burst into tears. And he said, do you need a minute? And she said, no, you go right on. Um, So she was, you know, steadfast in in her account. And and she, you know, she has throughout the years long litigation, she's always acknowledged that she's not 100 percent sure whether when exactly it happened between 1994 and 1996. You know, she's kind of said that for for several different reasons we heard about and that her friends testified about. She thinks it was Thursday in the fall of 1996. But she has said from the outset that she's not 100 percent sure about that. And, you know, jurors heard from a expert in trauma who talked about how that's common for, for victims of sexual assault and, and rape and, and of non-sexual violence-based crimes to sort of, you know, remember visceral details about about an event and, and forget the broader ones. Um, but Trump's lawyer really tried to nail her on that, like, you know, how is it that you don't remember this? And, you know, she really didn't break a sweat at any point in her testimony. Any of the kind of gaps that Trump's lawyers tried to make a big deal out of, she was kind of, you know, sometimes the first person to point them out um, you know at one point she said I wish to heaven I could give you a date but I can't and and here's what I when I think it was and here's why but she never tried to kind of skirt around um, any of those kind of so-called gaps in the record. So this was a jury trial it was a civil case and there was obviously testimony from a range of people. Um, were there any testimonies that particularly stood out for you? Yeah, well, you know, apart from Carol, um, you know, she she called 11 witnesses. Two of them were her, her close friends who she confided in in the immediate aftermath, Lisa Birnbach, who is a, also a successful journalist in her own right. She's a, she writes for Vanity Fair and she had profiled Donald Trump in the 1990s. Um, and Carol Martin, who's a veteran news anchor for CBS, she was the last witness to testify. And they both corroborated Carol's account that she had talked to them and that Birnbach had told her to immediately report it to the police and said that she'd go with her, whereas Carol Martin thought that she should stay silent and kind of said, you know, Trump has 200 lawyers and he'll bury you. The jurors also saw a lot of, you know, what Trump's lawyers kind of tried to do with those two witnesses was they, you know, they got a a hold of their emails and their texts, um, you know, decades after the assault, when Trump was elected president, um, when they were kind of reacting to his election. Um, and a lot of a lot of the emails and texts we saw were, you know, f- familiar to a lot of people in the courtroom, familiar feelings to when Donald Trump was elected. And, you know, his lawyer kind of highlighted some of his most controversial policy moves um, by bringing up these texts. Um, and I think they're... they're 
their intention with that was to try and prove that these women hated Donald Trump and they had concocted a scheme to destroy him politically, which yeah. obviously didn't work, you know, but they were, their testimony was very strong. And, and even some of the emails that we saw, you know, Carol Martin, for example, was quite frustrated when, when the litigation came around decades later and she had to get involved in it and she had to hand over texts and emails. I mean, her, her and Eugene Carroll didn't necessarily stay really close friends. So the kind of defense theory that, you know, these women were best friends and they come together to take down Trump was, you know, absent any friendship of those last few years, you know. Um, they also heard from two women who have accused Donald Trump of sexual assault, Jessica Leeds and Natasha Stoinoff. Um, so Jessica Leeds was among the first witnesses and Stoinoff was among the last. Um, and their testimony was really important and it was really alleging both completely separate incidents. Jessica Leeds accused Donald Trump of sexually assaulting her in an airplane in 1979 after she wound up seated next to him in first class. Um, another kind of happenstance encounter. And uh, Natasha Stoinoff uh, talked about interviewing Donald Trump for his one-year wedding anniversary uh, to Melania in 2005 at Mar-a-Lago and sort of spending a whole day down at Mar-a-Lago interviewing him and Melania. And there was one point during the day where she said Melania had a, a photo shoot by the swimming pool and Trump invited her to come and see a painting in a, a room somewhere at Mar-a-Lago. And once they were alone in that room, he closed the door and forced himself on her and started trying to kiss her. And these were, you know, in so many ways, mirroring details of the encounter that Carol had testified about. And I'm sure, you know, Trump would deny those things happened, I suppose. But was there one moment when you knew that Trump would be found liable? I think the most, um, you know, because obviously he did not testify. He did not turn up at all for his trial, kind of despite vowing to come and confront Carol from his golf course in West Clare. Um, but we did see his him in the Access Hollywood tape multiple times um, and in his videotape deposition. And I think it was probably, if there was any moment that I thought, okay, um, yeah, this, you know, she's going to win, it, it would probably be his deposition tape. He was incredibly combative with her attorney, Roberta Kaplan. Um, he... You know, he kind of doubled down on a lot of the statements that have formed the basis for her defamation claim. Um, you know, saying to her lawyer at one point, you know, in regards to this, what he keeps saying that, you know, denying the assault on the basis, she's not my type. At one point he said to her lawyer, and, you know, you wouldn't be my type either. You wouldn't be my first choice either. Um, you know, of his comments in the Access Hollywood tape, which jurors saw five times um, when, you know, the notorious grab him comment. Uh, he defended those comments in, in his deposition and he said to Roberta Kaplan that historically that was true with stars um, and, and Kaplan said you know historically it's true with stars that you can grab them by the you know mm. and he yeah. said uh, yeah you know pretty much and then she said and do you consider yourself a star and he said yeah I do um, so it was really kind of stunning and, and even for you know for myself somebody I've seen that video so many times we all have and obviously when yeah. you know, he was elected but to see it actually played in a courtroom was really surreal and to watch to look at the jurors faces when that was played and you know they were they knew we were scrutinizing them and they you know they weren't there was no like you know jaws dropping but they you know I would say certainly that 
two, two women who were in the back row looked um, looked uncomfortable when they were watching that. It was really kind of stunning. And, and even his comments outside the most famous line in that tape, I, I kind of realized when we listened back to it that the whole thing is, is pretty egregious. Um, so I think it was kind of hard to come back from that, especially given that he never, you know, he never took the stand and, and kind of addressed the jury in person. And, and, and you know, a lot of defense attorneys you know, most defense attorneys would advise their clients to attend their trial, if nothing, to kind of show to the signal to the jury that you respect their time and you don't think that your time is more important than theirs. So I think the fact he was absent and, and all they saw from him was the Access Hollywood tape and this, you know, very hostile deposition certainly didn't work in his favor. Did the judge then direct the jury in any way? Does the judge give any guidance? Yeah. So they were instructed on the law for about two hours before they started their deliberations. And the way they had to, the way they came to this verdict was there was two claims, battery and defamation. To find Trump liable for battery, there were, there were four, there were four ways to answer that question. The first was, do you think Donald Trump raped Eugene Carroll in the dressing room? And he instructed them that they would have to find that her lawyers proved by a preponderance of the evidence, which means like 51% of the evidence they showed, proved without a doubt that uh, he had forced sexual intercourse in the changing room. If they found that they did show that, then the jurors were told skip to, you know, the second claim, defamation. If they didn't find that, they were able to consider two subsets, sexual abuse and forcible touching. And they found on the kind of lesser degree of sexual abuse, they found that her lawyers did prove that that had occurred in the changing room. Um, and the, you know, the kind of the standard for that is really kind of unwanted sexual contact um, by forcible compulsion. Um, so they, you know, when, when she described the assault itself, I would say that the most kind of graphic details we heard were Trump kind of and I won't, you know, kind of repeat exactly what it was, but, you know, the, the kind of molestation that led up to to the rape was kind of what we heard in the most um, intricate detail. So it's hard to know, you know, what, what those discussions were in the jury room, but they certainly found her credible because, you know, they awarded her, um, you know, $5 million and for, she won both of her claims. But yes, this this element within the claim of rape, they ultimately found that he was not liable for it. Coming up... More on the Trump sex abuse trial. So Trump wasn't in court, but he was nevertheless shouting from the sidelines. Uh, For example, he commented on what was going on in the courtroom when he was in Ireland. There was a sense he sort of intimated he was on the first tee over here in Dunbeg playing golf, uh, talking to reporters, and he sort of intimated that he was going to go and confront his accuser. Um, Did you get any sense of that during the trial when you were in the courtroom? Yeah. Um, so, and he kind of, his words got him in trouble at various times throughout the trial. So at the very beginning of the case, the judge ruled that the jury's identities were going to be anonymous. And he said that was as a security precaution. Just across the street in the state courts, Trump has been criminally charged in the last few months. And the first thing he did after he was charged was to kind of go after the judge and the prosecutor in that case, which has resulted in like a flood of death threats and a, what, various white powder scares in the building. So the judge cited 
highlighted that in his decision to keep the jury anonymous and had asked, you know, kind of diplomatically said to, you know, all of the parties involved, please make sure your clients refrain from making statements that could lead to civil unrest or violence. And then, you know, multiple mornings we would come in and Carol's lawyers would say, Judge Kaplan, we saw this on Truth Social first thing this morning. You know, Trump is talking about, you know, mischaracterizing evidence in the case and, and kind of spreading disinformation. And the judge said to his lawyer time and again, you know, please have a word with your client. And at one point, Eric Trump was was tweeting and the tweet had been deleted by the end of the day after, you know, Trump's lawyer, the judge had had a word with Trump's lawyer. Um, and Takapina, you know, <laughs> Takapina was definitely put in a tough spot, Trump's lawyer, because he, you know, he... Um, He's this bombastic, brash defense attorney, but he respects the court and he respects the judge and he's, you know, argued before him before. And, you know, he would tell the judge one thing and then the next day, you know, it, it was clear his client was kind of not, he was, he didn't know, you know, and we would kind of ask him, Joe, is, is Trump going to come? And he'd be like, I mean, you know as much as I do. He tells me he's not, but but who knows? And the morning after those uh, recent comments that Trump made in Ireland, Carol's lawyers brought them up to the judge and he said, um, he asked Joe Takapina again, well, is he coming? And Trump's lawyer said no. And then the judge kind of took it upon himself to say, well, you know, in the interest of justice, I'm going to give him right up until, you know, the night before closing arguments at 10 p.m. Sunday to change his mind and to reopen his case. So Trump was given every possible opportunity to come and defend himself at the trial. The actual deadline to tell the court if he would testify was about two weeks before the trial started. He blew that deadline without informing the court. And then throughout the trial, the judge asked his lawyers repeatedly because they need to, you know, kind of um, prepare as a security measure if he's coming. Um you know, would ask him, is he coming? And there was no word. And then when the judge learned of his comments in Ireland, he said, well, look, if he wants to come, he has until Sunday to let us know. And then, you know, Sunday night came and passed without any notification from Trump. And um, so m most of the, that, those kind of arguments and, and the judge saying that to his lawyers happened outside of the presence of the jury. And um, so they didn't know that he was kind of, you know, the main concern was that they would hear his comments or they would come across his comments online or, you know, wherever on social media. Um, so they weren't so aware of that element of it, but we all were and the judge certainly was. So I'm interested to know what the reaction was when the verdict came in. You know, look, obviously we know Trump's reaction. It was completely on brand, on social media, continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time, you know, all that, all that blowhard stuff that we're used to. But I suppose his representative in court would have been his his lawyer, Joe Tacopina. What, what was his reaction? Yeah, so Joe Tacopina, uh, you know, after the verdict was read and the jury was sent home, you know, the first thing he did was walk over and congratulate uh, Carol and her defence team, you know, keeping it professional. Um, and he addressed the media outside, you know, about an hour afterwards. Trump had already taken to Truth Social before Tacopina had left the courthouse. Um, and he said he would appeal... You know, he they celebrated this, the fact that the jury did not find him liable for rape specifically as a win, you know, kind of saying, well, he hasn't legally been branded as a rapist and that's good. And we kind of said, well, you know, he's a sexual abuser. And he said, OK, well, we're going to appeal that. Um, so, you know, they kind of took what they could um, and, you know, said that defending his decision not to be there 
because it would have been created more of a circus atmosphere in his decision not to testify, saying that, you know, in his deposition, he said everything he wanted to under oath in that video. So that was kind of their their reaction at the courthouse. So what was Carol's reaction? I mean, she she didn't say anything on the day, but on on Wednesday morning, I think she was on NBC. Yeah. So she she kind of has this morning um described yesterday as the happiest day of her life and, you know, said that she was, you know, shaken it multiple times, but she knew she was telling the truth. So she she stuck to she you know, she kind of remained steadfast. And yesterday when she left the courthouse, there was kind of a little comment where her and her lawyer said, you know, we're happy. Um, But she had a huge smile on her face um, and she did look um, quite overcome with emotion as the verdict was read aloud. There weren't tears, but, you know, she was looking at the jury, um, looking very moved, certainly. And I think I think it must have been emotional and validating for the verdict to come back as quick as it did. Um, you know, we were all kind of gearing up for for at least to be coming in for the rest of the week, maybe at least two more days. Um, so I think I think that that had to have been validating. And and again, as I said before, you know, she has waited years to, to get into court with Donald Trump and he's really done everything he can to, to avoid that ever happening. So it was a it was a big day for her. And I think she's also been fairly clear on two fronts that it's it's not really about her. It's about other women who have been abused and have not felt able to come forward. So it's a, it's for them. But and she's also been really clear that it's not about the money. Yes. So she she had said that during the trial and the jury heard that in, in closing arguments that this was never about the money. It was about getting her name back. And, you know, even those of us who have been covering the litigation that led to this trial, you know, you're always expecting there might be a settlement. And so often there is. Most lawsuits are resolved on the you know steps of the courthouse the morning of jury selection. Um, and he's Trump has settled a number of, of lawsuits in New York over the last few years, very recently involving protesters in a Bronx case. But with this this one, and we were, you know, obviously talking to both sides, trying to see if any conversations were going on, but there were no discussions at any point. Um, so we it, we kind of knew, you know, this was always about getting her day in court and this was always about really holding him to account and, and making it official. Um, and she said that this was about getting her name back. And yesterday after the verdict, she said that, you know, it had finally happened and that she got her name back and, you know, kind of invoking what some of what she said to Takapina on cross-examination about you know, women not coming forward because they won't be believed. And yesterday she, you know, dedicated the victory to to every woman who has suffered because she was not believed. Now, the five million uh, compensation that she was awarded has been broken down roughly just a little bit over two million dollars is compensation damages for the battery claim. But even more, just shy of three million dollars compensation damages for defamation. Uh, for 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 calling her a liar, for Trump calling her a liar, is there any sense that she will ever see any of that money? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, he really can't push this much more. And as I said, there's another the, the original defamation lawsuit, which is where all of all of her allegations were first documented. That is still outstanding. You know how he. He can appeal this and he will appeal it. And of course, he said he's going to appeal it. I don't know. It would be one thing if there wasn't another lawsuit outstanding that still has to be resolved. Um, but he's already kind of exhausting his appeals with that one. I'm sure based on how Trump has responded to, to all of the various legal challenges, 
you know, he's face that I've covered, he's going to appeal it until it cannot be appealed anymore. Um, but at a certain point, I, I think he's going to have to pay up. Molly Crane Newman, thanks very much. Thank you for having me on. On Wednesday night, after I spoke to Molly Crane Newman, Donald Trump appeared live on CNN, where, despite the New York court's finding, he repeated his rejection of E. Jean Carroll's allegations against him. This woman, I don't know her. I never met her. I have no idea who she is. I had a picture taken years ago with her and her husband, nice guy John Johnson. He was a newscaster, very nice man. This is a fake story, made up story. And that's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Monday. 